0: Uh, this is Richard Toppe again with uh, Voice of Jones County podcast, and I'm here with the superintendent of Monticello Schools, Brian Yeager. Brian, could you give me your full title?
1: Yes, my name's uh, Brian Yeager, and I am the superintendent of schools for the Monticello Community School District.
0: What what does superintendent of schools here entail?
1: Well, um, it's you know obviously one of the leadership positions in a in a school district. Uh, the superintendent is the person who makes sure that we have uh, you know, a, a curriculum in place, we have leadership in place, teachers in place, good instructional strategies in motion, um, we have a, a good financial plan, we have a budget, uh, be able to work with uh, transportation and facilities. A jack of all trades, I guess, because a uh, school district really encompasses a, a whole, a wide variety of Uh, Of activities. Uh, In in fact in Monticello, um, you know, we're probably one of the bigger employers in Monticello, so.
0: Wow, how long have you been in this position?
1: This is my second year uh, in Monticello. What type of position were you in prior to coming here? Uh, Previous to coming to Monticello, I was the executive director of secondary schools in Gilbert, Arizona and that meant that I was in charge of Uh, all the high schools, the junior high schools, our alternative school, and our academy school within that district, which totaled 13 different schools. Um, And they all varied in size. I think the biggest high school was about uh, 3,300 kids. The smallest school that I worked with was a junior high that was a little over 600 kids. And
0: making that transition, were you originally from Arizona or?
1: No, I'm originally from Dubuque, Iowa. Um, I grew up in Dubuque. I went to Iowa State University, um, moved to Eastern Iowa, taught in uh, when it was Olin-Oxford Junction. I taught there and uh, was a social studies teacher, a, a coach for many years. And uh, then I moved into administration and I moved to Western Iowa for just a short time. And my wife got her degree from Iowa State University. And then we decided to Uh, moved to Arizona. We have some family down there and we uh, liked our visits down there so we thought we would uh, try to do that while we were young enough to do that and if we fell on our face then we only fell on our own faces and and not anybody else's so. So in effect you came back home. Yeah that's really true. I yeah because I I mean I'm I'm literally you know 20-30 minutes from uh, my family that still lives in Dubuque. I I have a lot of relatives that still live in this area. Uh, There's a lot of cousins of there are Jaegers and people related to the Jaegers around this area. In fact, my uh, my grandpa owned a farm in Hopkinton back in the 1940s, uh, and when my dad was young, they finally moved off the farm. I think in
0: 1947. Wow. How did <clears throat> did you did you grow up on a farm?
1: No, uh, my dad actually was a contractor. He built houses. Uh, and my, the, my two older brothers decided to get into the same business. My mom worked at a meat packing plant, it was the Dubuque Packing Company, Dubuque Packing House, and she worked there for, for 20 years and then she retired from the pack.
0: Well, how has life in Iowa prepared you for this kind of position? Oh, because teaching, teaching is not easy.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I am a big believer, one of the reasons we moved back is because I wanted my kids to get the same experience. That my wife Jen and I both got growing up. She grew up in Central Iowa, and you know I was in Eastern Iowa. But you, there, there's a lot of fa- good family values. You know, when you're out running around the neighborhood, it's not just your parents watching; it's everybody's parents watching, and, yeah. and they make a quick call to your house <clears throat> when something happens. I really, I appreciated that, and I, I appreciated that. You know, everybody who uh, lived in my neighborhood, we, we knew them by name. We knew their kids. We knew their families. We uh, we we learned to be respectful of other people. We learned how to how to listen, and we learned how to you know hopefully do the right thing. I mean, I feel like those are the that was the groundwork for who I've become. Um, You know, when I I was in Arizona, uh, the school that I was a principal at uh, at one point, uh, we had hired so many people from the Midwest, and people said, "Why do you have so many people from the Midwest that work at your school?" I said, "Because they have the right values," and and that's the true statement. so those are the type of values I wanted my kids not to miss. You know, they lived in Arizona for you know a good part of their lives. I really wanted them to come back and be uh, be a part of that that climate and culture. How old were they when they were growing up in Arizona? Well, uh, from birth for every all of them till uh, <coughs> my oldest was uh, I want to say four about fourteen when we moved back and then. The next one was about 11 and the, and the other one was uh, seven when we moved back so I mean they they' lived there quite a long time in fact my oldest you know had gone all the way through eighth grade in Arizona in the Arizona school system and she was ready to start high school so uh, it was it was probably a good t- time for that transition between eighth grade and 9th grade if she's gonna make the move was it a real culture shock for them absolutely uh, you know to, to to be in a place where they, you know, are they're a little tentative about taking their bikes out in the front, in the front of the, the street, in the front yard. We don't have a very big front yard in Arizona. or didn't. Uh, you know, they go down to the park and try to meet friends. It wasn't like going out playing in the yards and, you know, go knocking on the neighbor's door and, you know, uh, it, it was just different. And they were they were a little tentative at first because it, you know, they didn't. Kind of know the rules, you know. Like they, they would, they'd, they'd be by the door and say, "Can we go outside and play?" I, and yeah, that's what kids do: go outside and play. And but they've really adjusted fast. They, they've made some good friends, um, and that's been the biggest thing, you know. You you have a good friend group. Um, you can uh, you can get adjusted pretty fast.
0: Growing up in Arizona, because of the mixture of cultures there—Native American, Hispanic—was mm-hmm. uh, uh, that also a factor of what they came back? What they had a, maybe a bigger insight on. On culture
1: there there is a uh, there's a lot of diversity in Arizona and um, y- you know it, it's all the cultures that you mentioned it, it's it's very uh, it was very insightful I, I think to, for my kids to be down there and, and not only a uh, you know this the cultures that you mentioned but there's a, a variety of religions in Arizona too which is yeah. you know another factor um, but my but I think my kids really uh, got to see a lot of a lot of diversity, a lot of like different cultural um, events or you know family type family activities uh, that are driven by culture. I know some of our really close friends um, are Hispanic and one of the things they love to do the most is, get together as a family and, and they make tamales, and that was like a family tradition. Yeah. And, you know, for, uh, they'd give us tamales and my kids would love it and they, you know, they're friends of our family. So we would always have some, you know, great stories to share and it and, and just gets an example of kind of learning that a little bit about another culture, so. That's
0: great. Yeah. And so making that transition from Arizona to here, mm-hmm. what do you miss of Arizona? was it just you Uh, you don't
1: shovel sunshine I know that for sure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh, you you know I I I, I miss a little bit of uh, the uh, and we have some family down there that's my my wife's sister still lives down there Uh, several of our nephews live in that area I have cousins that still live down there too we miss the people that's, that's important, and I, I, I mean, that's back to my Iowa values As you know, you value family and you value, yeah. you know, people, and um, so we, we do miss them. Uh, we wish they could all move by us, that it would be fantastic, but it doesn't work that way in life, so.
0: So how, how difficult was it once you came back, got this new position um, to acclimate to the culture, academic culture, the, the, the needs of the community, was it difficult?
1: No, partly because I, you know, I lived here and I had a career here before moving to Arizona first, um, so I, so I knew the culture of the schools and I knew what I was going to walk back into, um, and and understanding and knowing Eastern Iowa and you know but growing up in Dubuque, I think that's a big difference. But hasn't the culture of education in general changed? You, you know, uh, over the course of my career, yes. I you know, I started in the early '90s and uh, up until today, you know, we are two thousand eighteen yeah it has it has. And you know, some of the things that have gone away have come back and some of the things that you know were were popular are just are not. Um, I think you know we're in a we're in a time period where we're we're valuing um, to be college and career ready. Yeah. And um, you know, I know that's a new uh, mantra that you hear out there. But there's a lot there's a lot of truth to that i mean you know before that it was a race to the top and then no child left behind and then if you remember way back it was a nation at risk so i mean there, we've had these kind of philosophies that have you know taken over education sometimes at the national level and the state level and on to the local level um one of the things i always liked about iowa even back when i was a teacher is that you know iowa you know for a long time remained maintained a local control of of curriculum and um, you know, and we've do- adopted the Iowa Core probably since 2010 or so in that ballpark. Um, and so is the, the nation has adopted the Common Core or, you know, variations of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think our, uh, the, the, I think Iowa traditionally every year is at the top of the polls for education. I'm going to say this year they're ranked sixth. Um, you know, and, and a part of that too is, you know, we have good educational systems in place. We have high graduation rates in Iowa, but we have also family values who value education and promote, you know, kids to, you know, this is going to be important, you're going to study hard, you're going to do well, and you're going to, you know, graduate from high school. And those are things that parents tell their kids, and in the, when you when you know that's what the kids are hearing, you, you the results are going to be higher graduation rates and more successful students. But with all the
0: challenges that have been exposed in the, in the media lately with schools and
1: What are the challenges to schools in Iowa? Oh, let's see, you know, probably, you know, I think there, I mean, there's some things now out there in the state legislature uh, that are going on this this term. Transportation has, has been a big challenge, student funding has been a big challenge, those are the popular ones right now. Um, You know, we have a a penny sales tax account that uh, our district has and so do all the other districts in Iowa that's used for, uh, you know, the financing of school facilities and remodeling and additions and those kind of things. Those are all the hot topics. Transportation is not equitable amongst every school district and you know, some school districts don't put on as many miles uh, with their school buses and, and some put on a tremendous amount. You know, um, we're, we're about middle of the road in Monticello for the amount of miles that we put on. But I know the state's trying to, you know, be equitable with that, with that funding. You know, one of the things I think is, um, is very unique in Iowa is that uh, Iowa has a program they put in place for several years now uh, called the Senior Year Plus Program. And most of the people in our community would know that program. We send our kids to Kirkwood, the regional center in town. And our kids can take classes. They take academy classes. They take um, you know a variety of, of offerings that they have there, and they they are college credits. And so when kids graduate from high school, you have the potential to be you know achieve enough credits to be uh, you know maybe start off as a junior in college if if you get all the credits you can accumulate. Yeah. So people start you know with a wide variety. If you're a college bound kid, by the time you're a junior, you start taking classes, and you can you can accumulate a lot of courses that way, which In high school count as high school and college courses for for now so you can count them towards graduation. But, you know, all those courses are uh, at no cost to our our families. Um, They are at a cost to the district. We pay for those per student. Um, And it is, uh, you know, our amount keeps rising every year. But our, our philosophy is that we want kids to be able to take these courses because we know it helps prepare them for their next step in life. Some of them are not necessarily for college courses to go on to you know, the University of Iowa or Iowa State, some of them are, you know, technical courses where they get training and they can walk away with a certificate and have, uh, and go, and go uh, you know, go into the workforce immediately if they choose to do that. Yeah. So uh, The other
0: kinds of, types of challenges, uh, threats to students and schools,
1: how was this district coping with that? Well, a, a few different ways. One, uh, we do, we do training and uh, in January 2014, January of 2016, and we're set up for August of 2018, uh, we are doing a training on uh, lockdown procedures, intruder procedures, so most of our staff has been trained up to this point but we want to do it on a cycle so that any new staff members coming on will get trained as well. Um, We then, each year we revisit, we have a uh, a district safety committee and we revisit all issues of safety. We open the we open the you know the door up to say what are our issues and we try to address those. We uh, identified a, a safety uh, flip chart that we really thought we needed to help people uh, make it you know so we have a list of different things that could happen at school and maybe what, hap- you know, what happens if this happens you know uh, tornado drills, fire drills, um, if there is an intruder or if there's something else that happens So, and we also do uh, practices. We have, we try to do two lockdowns a year and um, in our building, we uh, try to, there's a couple of different types of lockdowns. We try to practice the different types of lockdowns. One is the lockdown where you become invisible and you lock the doors and you don't want to be seen or heard and anybody that would walk down the hallway would feel like it was an empty building. And then there's the other type of a lockdown that is uh, a modified type lockdown where, we, we make sure all the doors are locked, but we can still continue instruction. Um, you know, the first type of a lockdown that I explained is more if there would be like an intruder or mm-hmm. someone that's not you know, not supposed to be on campus and they're there. Uh, the second one is more like for other events that will go on. Like if you had a rabbit dog running around the parking lot, you don't want kids to go out and be getting in their cars or anything like that. So we lock, all the, it's all locked down all the way around. We don't let kids out until we get the, you know, we know it's safe. So that's why we practice both because you never know when something's going to happen. Um, so we we try to be ready for everything. And you know, to me, the best asset that you can have uh, in an emergency situation is quick-thinking individuals. Yeah. And you know, so we 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 try to have this discussion with our teachers at the beginning of the year. Our principals facilitate that at their buildings. We try to reinforce the fact that you know you have to you know think outside the box sometimes. And you know, you have to think, if you're the PE teacher and you're outside, you have to assess, is the threat coming from the outside? Is the threat on the inside? And then how, where, where you evacuate makes a difference because running back in the building every time doesn't make sense. No. It's whatever makes sense. You know, if the you, know, you wanna go away from the threat. Um, I've, I also, I'll also say, you know, uh, Kudos to our police department in town here who's been, they've been fantastic um, with anything that we've had, you know, in our community. They've been uh, always on top of it, very supportive. They're always quick to be, uh, to make, you know, our, our schools and our uh, students safe. And so I give them kudos for doing a fantastic job and working with the schools.
0: With well, this recent shooting in Florida, uh, have you heard from parents of what they think would be good measures to take?
1: Maybe not as much as about what might be good measures to take, but more some inquiries on, you know, what are we doing to be to keep our kids safe? Um, you know, and I've shared some of the things I've already shared. I've also talked about our, you know, we have locks on our doors that are buzz in locks. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are, you know, as we talk about school facilities going forward, um, and that safety comes up. It's one of the big concerns that people continue to discuss. Uh, If you have you know been in our buildings recently you you know where If you walk into the high school You're walking into the lunchroom or the commons area. You're not really walking into an office You're you're walking into a commons And we would really like to set it up so that you know when you get buzzed in You then come in and see a person rather than come in and have access to the entire building So and there's definitely ways to do that uh, through architectural design um, And some planning there's definitely ways to make that uh, make us be very efficient with that. Um, do you think also? Th-
0: um, well, I, I'm trying to figure out how to how to ask this because that deals with um, sort of a psychological profile of students. Those that need psychological help uh, is do you, do you have a some kind of medical person on in, in the on the facilities or someone to talk to parents or? Who do home visits or stuff like that
1: yeah um, well we have uh, we have a variety of resources one we have a counselor at all the different levels we have one at the elementary one at the middle school one at the high school our counselors are fantastic they work together to you know to plan and look at uh, you know data and try to you know prepare as much they can for as much as they can for you know things that are occurring in their buildings they try to be very proactive uh, you know, our elementary counselor and our middle school counselor go out and teach classes to the kids. Uh, that's a variety. It could be, um, you know, bullying situations. It might be in, uh, how to, you know, communicate with other people, or work well with other kids, or be a good listener. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of topics that they cover to try and help our kids prepare and be, be able to interact with other kids. Um, in addition to that, we also have some at-risk. We call them at-risk people because mm-hmm. um, we're, we get the money from the state through at-risk funding. Um, and we use these people in a way to try to identify students on campus who might be struggling academically, emotionally, um, and we try to give them the assistance that they need. Um, the, the good thing is, you know, a school the size of Monticello, when someone is, is, not, is not feeling well or if they're not, not feeling good about themselves, we have a school full of kids who are quick to, you know, want to try and help, and a school full of the staff that are quick and want to try and help. So we are very fortunate to be able to get a, a report. And when something happens, it, it can either be with something, they've done something good or they've done something bad, or they've, you know, they're just not feeling good about themselves. And uh, to, to get that information is everything because there are adults can act and um, it, it really helps to, to, uh, to kind of cut off Situations before they become bigger and you know we what we don't want is for uh, you know kids to be uh, To come to the school and when they leave the school We don't want them to feel worse about themselves when they leave the school, but they want to feel better about themselves
0: it, I mean you, you Kind of lay out a really dynamic well-prepared school district uh, Are other school districts this well prepared and do you know of or?
1: Well, you know, since I haven't got to look under the hood of too many other districts been, since I've been back in Iowa for only a couple of years, um, you know, some of the things that we do, like uh, the lockdowns, have become kind of a standard procedure nationally. Uh-huh. Uh, so a lot of school districts do those, have practiced those, and put those into policy. Um, the state does fund at-risk funding, so the other school districts are using some of those other resources and, and adults to be able to, you know, help their kids. Um, it, and other schools, districts have counselors as well. Um, I, I just think you know we have a, a staff that's a, a pretty dynamic group, and I think we've got the right people in the right positions to be able to help kids and do good things for families. So I, you know, it's hard for me to speak about some of those other districts. I'm sure they're doing really good things as well, and uh, but it's hard to speak about other districts other than ours. I, I
0: guess I'm comparing to some of the districts I used to work with in Illinois. Uh, there seems to be a vast difference um, because of funding, they just were not as prepared. And uh, that's a shame because yeah. uh, I think, my own opinion, we should be putting as many resources as we could afford into young people's education. I Agreed. And uh, so what's the future for Monticello schools?
1: Well, what's the old song saying, the future's so bright you gotta wear shades? <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we have a lot of initiatives on the horizon here. Um, last year when I came in, uh, we worked really hard together as a district uh, community, parents, staff, um, myself, students, uh, a little bit of this part, but we developed a strategic operating plan so that we had some focus for the next couple of years. Uh, one of the things we're going to be rolling out next year is uh, one-to-one technology and we are, each kid in the 7th through 12th grade is gonna have a Chromebook, and they'll be able to bring those home with them, use them at school, use them at home. The kids from kindergarten through second grade are going to have uh, iPads, and they'll only be able to use them at school. Uh, They will not be bringing them home, but they'll have a cart they can keep on every night. Our teachers now already, they use them every day. They already have those in place. We got them out a little bit early, but. Boy, our kids use those a lot. Every time I go through there, they're, they're doing activities on those. It's been really a positive. Uh, in third grade through sixth grade, we are going to, kids will get Chromebooks that they'll be responsible for. But again, they'll stay at school, kind of like the iPads do. And uh, we won't be able to bring them home until they get into the seventh grade. We're going to get on a three year cycle with those, so students will get a new Chromebook in seventh grade and they'll get a new Chromebook in 10th grade, and they'll have the same Chromebook through the you know, 7, 8, 9. They'll have a, a new Chromebook for 10, 11, 12, and they'll have to be responsible for it and take care of it for all three of those years. In addition to that, I think even the, maybe the uh, one of the bigger things that we have going on in our community is to get we've, we've really started to dialogue about school facilities. And uh, it is a fact that our school facilities are aging. Our middle school is, it's around 95 years old. Our two elementaries are uh, 55 and 60 years old. Um, We have done facility assessments on these uh, facilities uh, including our bus barn area over here across the street too but um, the uh, uh, last facility assessment we did was in 2012 and just to bring some of those buildings up to ADA standards and uh, do the needed repairs we need to do for fire code. Um, it's it's about a twenty million dollar bill, and that was a few years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Twenty million. Just to just to do the standard repairs. So, and our buildings have just aged, and some of the things that weren't fire code violations when they built these are are now fire code violations. One of the things that the engineers shared with us when they went through the middle school is that they have to redo the stairs. The height and the width of the tread does not meet code anymore. So we gotta rip out stairs, put them back in again. Uh, Other things we have, you know, we got... uh, People's feet gotten bigger or? I don't know, you know, maybe over (laughs) the years that's what happens, or the the idea changes as to what safety, safe is, and and that makes it, uh, makes us have to, whatever we do, remodeling, then we have to meet code. Um, but you know, it's it, it, we started this process of dialoguing with the community. This week, uh, we just completed a second community meeting. We had the first meeting; we had about 120 people come out. The other night, we had uh, a little over 100, maybe 105 people come out. And um, last Wednesday night, we got into focus groups, and people were sharing, you know, what if scenarios and here's what I here's what I think we need to focus on, and we got a lot of community feedback, which I thought was really positive. Now this week, next week, we'll be meeting with our, we have a facility committee, and um, which is a, a really good cross-section of the community, and uh, we'll meet with the facility committee again, and we're gonna discuss what we heard at the uh, community meetings, and we're gonna look close at an updated facility assessment. I said that last one was 2012. Mm-hmm. The 2018 uh, assessment, uh, she said is, Ready to talk about Wednesday night, so I'm interested to hear um, what our facilities are, you know, in need of, and what we can do to, you know, bring those up to speed. Um, I, I hear a lot of different plans on what you know people think is a, a good idea uh, for our community, but ultimately we need to have schools that are going to be going to be safe. They're going to meet the educational needs of our students, um, and that are you know places that you know our community and our students can be very proud of. So you know, we're, we're, we're trying to meet those needs, I, I, I'll give you a good example for, the, for our educational needs. At our middle school, the classrooms are about 600 square feet and for a class of 25 to 28 kids and they're packed in shoulder to shoulder and it's hard for a teacher to move around or change the setup of the rooms. So a lot of times when you walk in those rooms there's just chairs sitting facing straight forward. And if you go to other places in the district, you would notice that chairs sometimes are they're, they're moved together in small groups or rearranged in different ways. Yeah. We don't have some of the ability to do that uh, at the middle school because the classrooms are smaller. The, the what classrooms at the middle school are supposed to be at least 900 square feet for that age of student in the room that we would need. Uh, uh, one of the problems is the old building doesn't. You know, all those walls are those are solid weight bearing. It's not like knocking out some studs and putting on new drywall, move it back 20 feet you have to put in steel and reinforcing girders and if you're gonna do anything with the walls, cause they all hold up the weight. The way those buildings are built. They're built like a fortress, you know? And they used to, they, people say that, you know, those old buildings have good bones. Our architects said, you know what? That is absolutely true. But sometimes in this case, those good bones work against you cause you can't just move the walls when you wanna move them and expand rooms to be the size you want or configuration that you want Wow. Well, it sounds like you're having a great time. Yeah, it's been it's been a good year. It's been a good two years, and we're we're all really busy. I mean, we are we're spinning around like a top around here, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people working really hard to make all these things happen, and you know, we we want our school district to be good for our students, for our staff, for our community. Like I said before, we really want our our community to be proud of it. Uh, I think the things we're doing on the inside of the building instructionally. Um, You know, activities with kids and the opportunities for kids to participate in a wide variety of academic and and extracurricular activities. Well, we're knocking it out of the park. And uh, I'm really proud of what our staff is doing in in all those areas. We just really need to have our facilities um, be brought up to speed to be able to match with the great things that are going on inside the buildings.
0: Well, you know that we have this podcast radio. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the possibility of working with some of your students Mm -hmm. to do kind of radio theater. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, How can we make that happen? Um, Well, we'll have to check. Usually, you know, groups that do that are high school age kids. So, um, you know, we already have kids that are involved in state speech or or speech at this point who do radio broadcasting, Uh, they do video, uh, video, uh, (coughs) excuse me, they do videos for uh, their speech competitions. So maybe one of those groups can be someone that we could partner with and see if they'd be interested in that. I, I do have some kids right now out there. We have student council for at the high school is working on a video for our district because we wanna tell the story of our of our school district. And so what we're gonna do that is to create a video that shows what it's like. So the kids are kinda doing a day in the life and they want to see what it's like through the eyes of the students. So our, our high school student council kids are working on that project. Our high school marketing kids are, are working on uh, trying to do videos of each of the buildings so that you know we have people that you know some can't necessarily get out and see our buildings so we're making videos of all the buildings they're only going to be you know three minutes long maybe in that ballpark um, and we're going to put them on our website so that people can go do a virtual tour of the buildings rather than you know get out and if you if you can't get to one of our meetings or you know on Wednesday night we get a, a physical tour of the middle school but not everybody can do that there's only a little over 100 people there so for the other thousands of people that live in the community, we want to give them the opportunity to see it on their own time and um, and be able to make their own decisions about what the insides of the buildings look like. But there's a, there's potential for partnership in there too. And sure. also,
0: if you if you think it'd be appropriate, we'd like to have those on our website mm-hmm. and get a broader audience. Okay. And yeah. Uh, there's got to be a way to make a link in there. I, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Get set him, and uh, I work with Scott Whirling, and he knows how to place it right in there. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to do this. Yeah, my I pleasure. Hope we can do it
1: again. Love to. Very and good. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. You bet.